thanks, friends. Drew, you get to hang out with me. Can I have a copy of that? That was like a really good bio. Um, hello. I am really glad to be back. I am seeing some familiar faces. I am meeting some new friends. And um, I'm going to take a minute to stand with gratitude. <sighs> gratitude that I am not here by myself. That the invitation is that we are in worship. And if you didn't know, that means the work of the people. So yes, I do have deep Presbyterian roots. Um, I grew up at Ingleside Presbyterian in San Francisco, was formed by the Reverend Dr. Frank Jackson at Faith Presbyterian Church. Um, and because of that, I, I understand um, the, the frozen chosen that is within us. I get it. I know. So I'm not going to ask. Never mind. I am going to ask. Be here with me on this journey. You can smile, just so that I know that I'm not alone. Um, my favorite ones, you can blink aggressively. So if you are feeling sleepy and you start to nod off, I'm going to think we are in communion in the spirit. But I want to invite, this is a co-creation. So if something sounds good, mmm, ooh, like those are just sounds that you can offer. And I trust, actually, that those are prayers, joining with my words, lifting up to the Lord. Sound all right? Oh, already. Very proud. Um, before I read the scripture, I do want to offer this prayer for us. Most holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be received with your mercy and grace. We trust that you are already here and speaking. So would you open our ears, our hearts, our souls, and our bodies to the word that you are ready to speak to us individually and corporately. Thank you that you are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to offer this scripture to us. It is from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, Hannah, was distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set before you as I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. 
So Eli said to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman, Hannah, went away, went her way and ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. This is the word of the Lord. So as I was thinking about this question, do our prayers make a difference, I wanted to go in another direction. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, this was the text that came to me. And even as I sat with it, I felt the profound tenderness of Hannah's prayer. Um, I am somebody who suffered, encountered, had to deal with secondary infertility. So I know the bitterness of this prayer. And my story ends with some more children. But along that journey, there was loss and there was grief, and there were questions, and maybe one of those questions was, do my prayers even make a difference, Lord? And so if that is your situation, if you are feeling the tenderness of this passage, I will not be offended if you need to leave, because I've sat through some sermons that just hurt I ask that you trust me to hold you and your story and your voice and maybe your pain and your tenderness and your questions with grace. Let's go. Let me give a story about uh, maybe the power or not of prayer. I was playing shoots and ladders with my son Langston. He's six. At this point, I have already beat him four times. And he has gone down the long chute. You know the long chute. Oh, and you just kind of feel it. You're just like, oh, it's happening. And he's about three moves from the long ladder. And he looks with full confidence and he goes, please, Lord, let me get a three. And it was a theological conundrum for me, his pastor mother going, okay. This can go a lot of different ways. On one of them, I was like, please, Lord, give him a three so he knows that you are real and his prayers have power. And on the other side, I was like, please, Lord, don't give him a three because I really want to beat him again. <laughs> but there was something in that moment that kind of was beautiful. The prayers of children that are real and audacious and full of power. And you know what? He didn't get a three. But you know what he didn't do immediately? He didn't curse the Lord because God didn't answer him. Might we have prayers like a child that we can bring the fullness of our desires, our needs. And maybe if God 
doesn't answer immediately or the way that we want, we don't immediately go, well, my prayer didn't matter because I didn't get the three. If your prayer life is only waiting for the immediate response, the immediate gratification, maybe your prayer is more about you than a real connection with the Lord. I also want to offer some reflections from the Faith and Justice Conference. How good was it? That was so good. And what I learned and what I'm still holding is the many modalities of prayer. That even sounds and feels good in my mouth. The many modalities of prayer. That sometimes prayer is silence. Just quiet. Sometimes prayer is breath. Sometimes it's dance. Sometimes it's rage. Sometimes it's tears, laughter, noticing the clouds in a new way, asking questions, being on a march with other folks and demanding justice, hugging somebody that you love. I would claim that all of those things are prayer. Kenji Kuramitsu said that prayer can be both active and inactive, that perhaps every breath we take is a prayer. Reverend Charlene, I loved, said that a part of prayer is recognizing and honoring our God-given voice, that we can pray in our own voice. Of course, Cole Arthur Riley talked about prayer as magic and potion and connection. And then she said something towards the end that I was like, come on now, prayer is arrogance. To believe that you can stand before the creator of the universe and be honest with your needs, with your wants, with your questions, with your rage. For me, I focused in on this particular quote um, from Our Unforming, De-Westernizing Spiritual Formation by Cindy Lee. Has anybody read that? You're welcome. Go read it. (laughs) And this is what Cindy Lee says about prayer. She says, the soul is the space where your sacred self dwells. This means your soul is also the space of prayer where your most honest, sacred self meets with God. So rather than thinking of prayer as an activity or a practice, Cindy says she likes to think of prayer as sharing space with God. And sometimes in prayer we have conversations with the Spirit. And on the days when we're not sure what to say, we may simply sit in silence together. And in that space, God sees us clearly. And on good days, we see God clearly too. When our souls are healthy, we have a clear view of ourselves and God. And when they are unhealthy, our views of self and God become distorted. In my mind, prayer is an act of connection. Connection with ourselves, our most real, honest, messy, beautiful, complicated selves. With God, the creator of the whole universe that says, oh yeah, I will share space with you. And even with our neighbors, because when we get real about who, are, we can, who we are, we can see the realness 
in our neighbors. And maybe then we become a little more willing to share space with them in their messiness and their complication and their beauty and their rage and their tears and their laughter. And so as we look and dig into our passage today, I want to invite us to notice the connections that are being made as Hannah pours out her soul to the Lord. As I said before to offer some context, I I understand that this is a tender passage. And I, I feel that for any story of barrenness in Scripture, we see Leah and Rachel, we see Sarai and Hagar, we see Elizabeth waiting for so long. It is a common theme to talk about women's wombs in the Bible. I'm going to leave that there. (laughs) And what we read in this story is there's Elkanah who comes from this holy lineage, and he has two wives, thinking perhaps Hannah is his first wife, and then he gets another one, um, Peninnah. And we know that Peninnah has children, and Hannah does not. And maybe in some way we're just like, oh, she just longs for a baby, like she just wants to care about somebody. And sometimes that is the desire of our heart. But in this time with no sons, if anything happens to her husband, Hannah has nothing. So it is not just a desire of her heart, but it is a desire to be cared for, to know that you have a future. And what we hear is that Hannah weeps and is distressed during her family's holy pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is prayer, walking and moving to a holy site. And she weeps and she cries. And what we hear in the verses right before, she refuses to eat. And maybe that was from her grief and her pain. Have we ever been so sad you can't even think about eating? But I also want to give Hannah some power there. Because remember we said prayer can be protest. I wonder if as her husband offered her this food from the altar that had been blessed by the Lord, that Hannah says, no, I don't want to connect with you right now, God, in this holy way because, because I'm hurting. Because I'm kind of disappointed with this relationship. So I wonder if Hannah had a little bit of protest in that moment, in her grief, in looking at God and saying, I don't think you are holding up your end of this particular bargain. Can we handle that that might be a prayer? Those moments when we say, God, I don't want to talk to you. You don't have to raise your hand if you've ever had those moments. (laughs) I don't want to talk to you. I can't talk to you. I don't want to be too close to you because it hurts so badly. But this time in the text after her husband says, I love you so much, and then weirdly says, like, I'm enough for you. Anyway, (laughs) Hannah actually does eat something. And I wonder if that is her entree to the point of reconnection with God. I will allow you to nourish my body in this moment because I'm actually going to need some power and strength to talk to you the way that I'm going to have to talk to you. 
I wonder if eating that food was that first step in saying, I'm willing to connect again to my body, to you, the source of life. And so she goes to the temple, not inside because she can't, because she's a woman, and she presents herself to the Lord, and she prays, and she weeps, and I think that there is a longing to jump to the end of the story, and her prayers are so fervent and so beautiful. She gets this baby, and he's a prophet and a king, and then we go, yay, her prayers worked. I am not willing to skip to the good part just yet. Because prayer is not always the good part. What I see in this passage and what I wonder is how many times did Hannah pray that prayer? It says that her co-wife had many children, many sons and daughters. So how many times did she pour her heart out to the Lord? How long did she pray? And it said when she got to this point, she was deeply distressed. Some of the translations say that she was bitter, that she had a bleak spirit in her. Are we willing to be honest that sometimes our prayers give way to a bitterness because we keep showing up and waiting and hoping and it feels like our prayers don't matter. Are we, okay, we said the questions we're afraid to ask. Can I ask that one? That sometimes our prayers don't necessarily lead us to joy and praise and supplication, but they lead us actually further down into our pain, into our hurt, and into our desire. But what I think is beautiful in this is that Hannah pours it all out, I can imagine. In this text, we read that um, her co-wife feeds off of her pain. She pokes at it. She flicks at it. Her husband is incredibly kind and says he loves her, but he also says, I actually don't want to hold your pain with you. I can't go there with you. It's like a little too much, Hannah. Can you just stop crying? Can you just eat something? Can you be happy with what you have, Hannah? That actually doesn't feel like a prayer to me. Feeding on someone's pain, refusing to hold it with them. And I appreciate the biblical scholar Valerie Bridgman says she directs her grief and lament in prayer to the God of heaven and the God of wombs. O Lord of hosts, if you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget me, but will you give your servant a male child and I'll set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. Have you had those moments that you keep praying and praying and praying and praying that you call down God's power? You are the Lord of hosts. You have a heavenly army. Can I get a little bit of care and connection? 
Have you ever had those prayers where you're like, nobody else will listen or look, and my pain is too much for them, so God, I need you to bear witness, and I'm not walking away until you do. Have you ever offered those prayers that you say, okay, well, maybe if I bargain or if I negotiate or if I, can we do a quid pro quo, Lord? Anybody ever do some of those? Because it's speaking from the depth and the longing of our hearts. We get real and we're ready to do some things. What I love about Hannah, um, this is the moment where there's some arrogance and some audacity to her prayers. Because if you think about it, in the world, she has no voice. Women of that time had no voice, especially disconnected from their husbands, and she has no sons. She has no heir. She has no power in society. And it makes me think of the prayers of a black woman. Because if you've ever heard an older black woman pray, you won't ask the question, does this prayer matter? Because they pray with an audacity. They pray with an arrogance where sometimes I feel like I got to take some steps away when my grandmama is calling down the spirit of God. I'm like, are you, are you allowed to talk to God that way? Wow, your voice is real. Like you getting real. But what is the audacity to have no power in the world but to stand before the creator of the universe and say, you will see me. I believe that you see me. I believe that you care about my voice. I believe that you can hold my pain. I believe that I can ask with boldness. And then they always end, and I'm going to praise you in advance. Y'all know what that, have y'all ever heard that one? And that's the moment where I'm like, you better get on it, God, because she praising you in advance. You better, and we will claim the victory right now. No matter what other circumstances are happening, black women pray as if God is theirs. And they will hold God to account I'll tell you that you can't tell me that when my grandmother prays the blood of Jesus on me, even the theology, I'm like, I don't, never, thank you. I receive it. I know I stand in the prayers of my grandmother. I stand in the prayers of those who are willing to open up their soul to me. Maybe give me a little bit to carry me on my journey. So I love Hannah. She's doing everything that I would say she's supposed to do. And then what happens, Eli? <sighs> oh, Eli. <laughs> so she continues praying before the Lord, pouring her whole soul out. And what does Eli say? Are you drunk? This was the other touch point for me at the conference that so many folks were afraid to pray because their pastor or priest or somebody in charge told them they were doing it the wrong way. Not only was she doing it the wrong way, like she was a moral failure because she wasn't doing it the way that Eli thought she should. I think if we're honest, one of the reasons that prayer can feel 
some kind of scary, that we like to write it down and hold on to it and read from it and do the ones that we know. Because when it gets free, it can go some places. There are a lot of tears. There might be some snot. You might be screaming and pounding the ground. There is a fullness of our prayers that might not seem so decent and in order. And to me, my question is how many prayers are silenced because they're done the wrong way? How often actually is the church responsible for the death-dealing disconnection from our voice, from our access to God, from our neighbors who are quicker to judge than to stand with as they pour their hearts out. Eli had an opportunity to be inspired. He had an opportunity to check in with his own soul and his hurt and his pain. He had an opportunity to look at Hannah's audacity and say, oh, let's go, Hannah. Teach me how to pray with my whole being. And instead, he judged her. When I say that prayer is an opportunity to connect with our neighbors, I believe it's the opportunity to bear witness, to say that I believe that my soul can speak to your soul that maybe for a time our souls can hold space with the creator of the universe, that I might be able to see a tenderness in you that speaks to a tenderness in me, that you might meet my weeping with your rage because I can't access it right now. And then perhaps as we go from this place of prayer, we might be emboldened to walk together in a new way towards the world that God desires. Do Hannah's prayers matter? She ultimately gets the baby. And maybe we do say praise God for that. We are, we are glad when the desires of our hearts are met. But maybe it was more than that. We actually don't get to that part um, in the scripture and the one that we read today. Is instead, we just hear that she cried, she wept, she pleaded, she poured out everything, and it says her countenance was sad no longer. I wonder if standing her soul next to God, Hannah got a new view of who she was. She got to access a different type of power. She got to touch and get close to the Lord. She's like, I know I really need an heir and also you are my God that I have access to. I wonder if something just changed in her spirit so she was able to walk a little bit further. Oh, y'all, that's the one. Sometimes prayer just lets you take the next step. Prayer helps you to pick yourself up off the ground because you were able to be honest. Hannah's co-wife met her pain with sadness, and, or met Hannah's sadness with cruelty. Hannah's husband met her sadness with platitudes. 
Eli met Hannah's sadness with judgment. God meets Hannah's sadness with presence. Maybe that's what prayer does. The power of presence. Um, and then the next prayer that Hannah prays, I also love. Um, that in that presence, you remember I said that Hannah changes. She does get the baby. But do you know what Hannah's prayer is after Samuel is born? If you've never heard these stories, after barrenness, women are like, oh, I know who God is who's about to bring the revolution. <laughs> and so she continues to pray with audacity, but not just for herself, but for the whole world. Her heart opens, her soul opens. And I wonder if one, she invites some other folks, she's like, oh, no, no, cry out. I can bear witness to your pain because I know the healing that comes when someone bears witness to your sacred pain. Um, I am going to finish with my own question. <laughs> As I have been thinking about the genocide that is happening all over the world. I actually don't have words that feel powerful enough to respond. But the gift is I don't think God is asking for my words. I think my tears are prayers. I think my sighs and my moans are prayers. And I think because of who God is and the invitation for the soul to soul, my prayer is that I can bear witness to the pain, to the bitter weeping, to the hurt and not respond with cruelty or judgment or dismissal, but to stand and bear witness and open my soul to the hurting of my siblings. Does it matter? Yeah. I do believe it matters. And what my prayer looks like right now in those sittings, in those moments, I go, God, can I have a little bit of that? Can I have a little bit of the soul ache of those who are suffering that they might feel a little bit lighter in this moment? God, can I bear witness and get real mad like Hannah and all of the other fierce women of Scripture? And when I pray, I can pray a revolution with my words, and with my body. Um, family, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what your soul feels like right now. I don't know if you're just like, oh, it's so nice there. I just like to go there, me and the Lord, drink really good pour-over coffee or beer. Um, I don't know if you are like some seasons that I went in that I just looked at the room and I waved at it and I just kept walking because I couldn't even get close. I don't know if it's the prayers of others that are keeping you taking one step in front of the other because you can't do it on your own. But I believe that the space is available to us that God is waiting patiently to bear witness to us in our fullness, to invite us to see ourselves as God sees us, to be reminded of the sacred audacity that will change our lives and the whole world. Would you pray with me?
my God. Help, please. Thank you. Ouch. I'm sorry. Lord, would you hear the prayers of our hearts and would you meet us? Would you let us to be people who bear witness instead of judge? Would you invite us to your freedom where prayer gets so much bigger or maybe smaller or maybe louder or maybe more quiet, but God, would you help us to pray in the voices that you have given us? in the bodies that you have given us, in the communities that you have given us. Would you help us to pray with our whole beings? Would you remind us who we are, who you are, who our neighbors are, that we might move in the world with boldness, with power towards your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.